0: Hello and welcome, everyone. We're so glad to have our family, old and new, joining us this morning to worship. What a blessing it is to sing, to pray, to listen to the Spirit as we worship God together. What a blessing it is to do this kingdom work together. Again, if you are with us for the first time or one of the first times, we'd like to thank you for joining us um, online. I'd like to invite you to check out our website, hbic.church, to learn more information about us. Also, um, we go live with this service at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and there's also an 11- a.m. reflection service that gives you the opportunity to reflect on the service and to just share about what God said to you and what God's doing. So I'd like to invite you to that as well. Um, If you need more information on that or anything else, feel free to contact us at the church. Our um, email address is just office at harrisburgbic.org. So thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, We will be continuing our Remembrance Series. Uh, This first part of the series focuses on Old Testament calls for us to remember. We see in our lives, but also in scripture. How God calls um, people to remember. I think part of the reason, like I've been saying, is because we're so quick to forget. We're quick to forget that God is here. We're quick to forget that God is present. We're quick to forget that no matter what we're facing, God is in it with us part of the reason we're quick to forget is because it's so easy and we're so good at, you know, looking down or, or looking at our present situation. And in God calling us to remember, it forces us to not look down, but to look up at God. It forces us to, to not look around, but to look back. Because in looking back, we can see what God has done and that can give us peace. And then we can trust the faithfulness and the goodness and the mercy of God because we know what God has done. And that helps us to have the peace to go forward. in whatever we're facing for what God will do. His call to remember is balanced because our God wants to be known. So God isn't just saying, remember, remember, remember. God is consistently revealing uh, who God is to God's people. Now, we've been using some basic questions to kind of answer how is God revealing uh, to God's people, especially here in the Old Testament. So the basic questions, journalistic questions, you probably got these in elementary or middle school, right? Who, what, when, why, where, how. So when we first started the series, we said, God asks us, or God asks us people to remember who I am and who is God, Yahweh, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be. That is the God who's with us now. Remember what I have done. That is God, Yahweh, who was and is and will be. It's the same God who's worked with generations of people before you. It's the same God who's worked in your entire life to get you through this moment for right now. Whatever you're going through, God has worked to get you through that moment right now. And all of us have a calling to do God's kingdom work. And last week we talked about remembering when I have saved. Not just on the world before Noah or the the world during Noah's time. Not just about the flood. But the fruit that came after the flood is God Almighty makes covenant with Noah and for generations to come, pledging loyalty, pledging love, pledging to be God for God's people. And asking this covenant relationship, which was, was a dual, you know, it was this commitment that God made to love us. And a commitment that God asks for us to be obedient and, and, and to follow and to love God as well. So we've done, remember who I am, Yahweh God. Remember what I have done. I've prepared you and called you for this. Remember when I have saved you. I've made covenant with you. Now this morning, we'll talk about remember why I have saved. And the simple reason we'll find in our text is that God loves and chooses us. We'll be reading this morning from Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 to 9. You know, one writer said, when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, it's kind of like a tripod. You know, it's three different poles. And the three things you need to know in Deuteronomy is, who is God's people? Israel. Who is Israel's God? Yahweh. And what is the tie that brings them together? Covenant. pledged loyalty and love to one another. Let's pray together. Our Father, God, we thank you so much that you, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be is the God who's with us now. Our Father, we thank you that you've worked for generations before and you've worked in our lives for all these days before to prepare us for this time, for this moment, that you've called all of us to do your kingdom work. And God, we thank you that you've saved us, that you've saved us because of your covenant loyal love to us, that you save us this morning and we'll learn more about how you simply just chose to love us and you chose us. So God, we praise you. We give you all the glory and thanks. We lift up your name with righteous and gracious praise for you, the good and faithful God, are the good and faithful God who loves us. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 7. I'll be reading verses 1 to 9. Deuteronomy 7, again, verses 1 to 9. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones cut down their asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is God. He is faithful God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments you know, one of the, 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 maybe the most fun things or one of the most fun things I really enjoy, um, about this work, um, that we're, we're all doing here at HBIC, but that I'm specifically doing is, um, the chance to get to walk with, you know, new or young couples who are getting ready to get married, you know, working with, with premarital couples. And, and what's interesting is as you work with premarital couples, you, you talk about story, you talk about, you know, this pledge of, of covenant that they're, they're walking into in marriage and, but eventually you get to this point and find out about their love and, and how they kind of not just fell in love, but how they chose one another. And when we go in premarital counseling, you know, some of our first early meetings is I just ask them to tell me your story. You know, tell me how, you know, this came to be. Tell me about you both, but but how did you come to be? What has God done in your life? How did God bring you together? And then when we talk about the marriage covenant, we talk about, yeah, marriage is two becoming one without losing your individuality, two becoming one in a pledge of loyalty, a pledge of love, a pledge of being partners together. And when we talk about the marriage covenant, though, we talk about not just what this pledge is, but what does it mean that God is going to be glorified in this union? But then eventually, or sometimes throughout the conversations, we find out the why, We find out how the couple fell in love. We find out how they came together. We find out how they chose each other. You know I think this this deuteronomy story the, the, what 's happening in deuteronomy isn 't just the three poles of of Israel and israel 's God Yahweh, and the covenant that holds them together. but I think the same thing is happening almost like a premarital is happening here because in the Pentateuch, the first five books of our of our of our Bible, Moses is not just a lawgiver; Moses is a storyteller from a people who were captured and enslaved for, for hundreds of years. Moses is telling them the story, the love story about how God created them, about how God called them, about how God chose them. Moses is telling the story and reminding the people of how it came to be. Now, he's not just telling the story in the Pentateuch. But as we studied last week, he reminds them of the pledge that God has made to them. The pledge that the God of the universe says, I not only led you out of slavery, but I am pledging my loyal love to you. I'm asking you to enter into this covenant with me and you will be my people and you will be mine and I will be yours because I will be your God. But Why? I think Moses answers the why in our passage this morning in Deuteronomy 7. And the why is simply God has chosen us and God loves us. Remember why I saved you? God says it's because I love you and I chose you. That's simply it. We are valuable because God says we're valuable. We're worthy because God says we're worthy. We're chosen because God has chosen to love us. Moses has been telling Israel's story as they've been wandering around in the wilderness. Remember, Moses says, who God is. Remember that Yahweh is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be. Remember who God is. Remember what God has done. He's prepared us. He's called us for generations now to be his people, to be a light for the nations so that the world may see and glorify him. Remember how God has saved us, not just by the flood, but even now as we've come out of Egypt, Moses has been telling this story and telling them to remember, to remember, to remember. Moses has told him about the covenant that God made with Abraham, that you will be a father of many nations, of the covenant that God made with Noah, that yes, I'll put a rainbow in the clouds and never again will I destroy you, but I am pledging my love to you. I am pledging my loyalty to you. I am pledging to be there for you. Moses is telling the story. Moses has introduced covenant all the while telling Israel, remember, remember, remember. And we get to Deuteronomy 7 and our passage today, Moses explains the why. See, Israel at this stage is on the verge of entering the promised land. Israel has uh, been in a wilderness for 40 years. And if you don't remember what happens when they come out of Egypt, you know, Moses gathers 12 scouts. And and in some translation, we call them spies, but these are former enslaved people who are now going into the promised land. They didn't really have a lot of training to be spies. You know, some translation says that these were princes or, or representatives from each of the 12 tribes. Nevertheless, Moses gets these 12 scouts together. And he sends them on what should be a 40-day mission. They're going into the promised land. And Moses says, I want you to go and get the lay of the land. I want you to go and, and give us a report about what we're going into. I want you to go and see what's out there. And I don't know about you, but when I was in Sunday school, we sang that little chorus, right? I can't really sing very well, so I'm just going to say it, right? It's like, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think when they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes and clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. But what's interesting is the ten who were bad... When they saw the lay of the land, they didn't just see that it was flowing with milk and honey. They saw all the things that would make it impossible to them to conquer this land. They saw giants, they saw fortified cities, they saw mighty peoples and nations, and they thought to themselves, oh my goodness, what has God done? Where is God leading us? This is supposed to be the promised land. And all I see are giants, all I see are enemies, all I see are cities that we are never going to conquer. And they come back with that report. And of the twelve only two kept the faith. Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they said, oh yes, this land is filled with milk and honey and praise God is on our side because we will go into the promised land. But the 10 kind of outweighed the two and turned the people away from trusting God and being fearful of the situation they were in. And that's what led this 40-day mission led to a result of wandering for 40 days in the wilderness. The 10 people with the bad report actually got plagues and fell and died. But the people wandered. For 40 years and a generation passed on and this new generation was getting ready to go into the promised land. In fact, Moses, the lawgiver, the storyteller, he wasn't even going to enter the promised land with them. Joshua, one of the good reporters, one of the good scouts had now been elevated. or was about to be elevated into taking over as leader of Israel to lead them into the promised land. And right before they get in. We have this passage in Deuteronomy. Here in these first nine verses, God promises to deliver the land to Israel. I love that the promise of God in this passage is not, if we enter into the land, you will have deliverance. It's when you enter into the land, you will have deliverance. What a blessing it is to know that when God is on our side, when God fights our battles, we can be more than conquerors. And God promises to deliver the land to Israel, while a generation before saw giants, saw fortified cities saw mighty nations. God just sees the promises he's made. God just sees the land that's promised and God sees victory and tells the people, when you go in, I will deliver the land to you. And God wants them though, to go in with their eyes wide open. It wasn't that the 10 scouts were being dishonest by seeing giants or fortified cities or mighty nations. God doesn't call us to be blind to the world around us. God doesn't call us to to be blind to to the things that that might scare us or frighten us. God doesn't call us to to be blind to the things that distress us. God just calls us to trust, to trust God. That whatever giants we face, our God is mightier. That whatever, you know, mighty um, fortified cities or people who are against us, that God's power is stronger. That whatever we face, whatever struggle we're in, God is with us. God is on our side. God wants them to go in with their eyes wide open. That yes, these seven nations are larger than you. By the world's count, they're stronger than you. But with me on your side, with Yahweh God on your side, you will indeed conquer them. And if you weren't sure that you were going to conquer them, God has a passage where he, or a verse in here, when he's starting to verse two or three, and he says, He commands destruction. Utter destruction, one translation says. And, and, and God says, Not only are these cities that you see and these fortified people mighty, but I want you to go in and we will win. We will have victory. You are going to utterly destroy them because generations of these people generations of Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, generations of Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, generations had rejected God and rejected God and grown to be enemies of God. So God says, they are enemies in your land and we will utterly destroy them. And then God says, I don't want you to make any covenant with them. I don't want you to pledge any kind of relationship with them to show them any kind of mercy. For this is the judgment of God that's coming upon them. I'm not just giving you this land, but I'm judging them. And as part of the the further proof that God wants no covenant with them, he takes what to our world, but especially to the ancient world, what what was one of the most um, fundamental covenants. And he says, when you go in, I want you to utterly destroy them, yes, but I don't want you to intermarry with them because these people are generations of God-haters. These people are generations of of rejecting me, Yahweh. These people are generations of worshiping idols. Do not marry them because they will turn you away from me. They will turn your hearts away from me. You're my holy people. You're my chosen people. And if you start to intermarry them, whether it's for stability or, or whether it's because you think that will give you popularity or, or that will give you strength to, to the world around you. By marrying them, you will turn from me. And then God says, "When we go in there. I need you to identify and destroy all the idols Why? Because again, you are my holy people. You have been chosen by me. You are loved by me. You are my treasured possession. I had a a mentor and a teacher who says the best understanding of treasured possession is, you know, if you if you take your budget, you know, and and you you do your math. Right. You break down the budget and you say, okay, this is what I'm going to give back to God. These are my tithes and offerings. You know, these are the bills I have to pay for this month. That goes out. This is what I need to live like food. Right. Like food, expenses, just stuff to need to live. This is what I want to save. You break down all the budget. And there's always that little bit of flex cash, maybe. You know, when you're first starting out, it might only be $5 a week, you know? Maybe it's $20. I don't know. Maybe it's $100, right? Whatever it is for you. But it's that little bit of flex cash that you can spend on anything you want, right? You know, so it's like when you're a kid getting uh, 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 allowance, you know, I didn't say the word right because we didn't get allowance, right? But if you're a kid getting allowance... Maybe it's that ice cream cone you get to buy, you know. If you're an older kid, you know, maybe it's a a new pair of sneakers you get to buy. But the idea of treasure possession is captured in that that money that you save, that you treasure so much that you can spend and use any way you want. And the feeling you get from spending that money, that kind of gets to this idea of what the treasure possession was. That there's all the world, they've all rejected me, but you aren't just the leftover, but you're what I value because you are my treasured possession. You are what I can't wait to have a relationship with. And in having this relationship, we realize that God does not choose Israel for Israel's strength or Israel's might. God chose Israel simply because of love and because of covenant. It is the love that God has that leads God to redeem Israel. It's the love that God has that he pledges loyalty, not just to Abraham, not just to Noah, not just to Moses, not just to the people in in Egypt, not just to the people wandering in the wilderness, but he promises it for a thousand generations. This morning, as we think about remembering why God has saved us, The same answer that God gives in Deuteronomy 7 to the people of Israel in the wilderness is the same answer God gives to us today. God saves us because God loves us, because God has chosen us. You know, in the New Testament, we see this teaching kind of running throughout the New Testament. It starts off in a couple of the Gospels, and it goes all the way through to Revelation that we, God's people, who believe in Jesus, we, the church— are now the Bride of Christ. In fact, many writers over the course of Christian history for the last, you know, 2,000 plus years have not only seen us as the Bride of Christ, but they've called this the station we're in as kind of like the engagement before the wedding supper of the Lamb, when Jesus comes back to take us home. When heaven comes down and we got a new heaven and we got a new earth. So we're now in that engagement state. So that means that right now in this life we're living we're almost doing premarital counseling with god we're doing premarital counseling with jesus just like in premarital you say what is our story what is the story that god is writing our story is the gospel our story is our lives our story is that jesus christ who spoke the world into existence came down for us, to be Emmanuel, to be with us, to go through what we go through, to do it without sin, to live in love, to show us how to please God, to, yes, go to Calvary's tree, to die on the cross for you and for me and for the world, and then be raised by the same power, be raised by God to show triumph over sin and death forever and to be exalted into heaven where he's preparing it for us until that wedding day. So our story is Jesus and the fall gospel, but our story is also our lives. How many times can you think of the ways God has saved you? How many times has God saved you this week, this month, this year? What are crucial points in your life that you're like, only God, only God has seen me through. So the story that God is writing is with our lives. Our pledge, our covenant is to live and love like Jesus. In our premarital, the story is the gospel and Jesus is writing our lives and God's writing our life story. But our pledge, the work that we do is to live and love like Jesus. But our why is the same why that was true in the wilderness. It's the same why that was true before the promised land. Our why is simply God has loved us. God has chosen us. God loves you. God has chosen you. Our promised land is the kingdom of God. And we know the kingdom is coming, but the kingdom is also here. So, as we live and want and desire in this promised land that is and it is to come, may we remember from the wilderness that God promises deliverance. No matter what we're going through, no matter what our struggle is, put your faith in God. Do not fear the giants that you have yet to slay. Do not fear. The enemies that seem to be all around you, do not fear the unknown, for God is on your side, and God promises deliverance. This is why God wants us to live circumspectly, to live with eyes wide open, to live and see how the world is not as it should be. Because with our eyes open, we can see more clearly what God is doing, what God has done and hold on to what God will do. And when God commands destruction, he's not forming a nation state. He's not punishing the world through us. Instead, when God calls us to battle, when God calls us to destruction, it's the reminder that Paul writes to the Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. With our eyes open, we'll remember, we'll know, we'll hold on to that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That our sisters and brothers are not necessarily our enemies. But we do need the full armor of God because with our eyes open, we will see the evils of the day. We will see the world is not as it should be. We're equipped with God's spirit. Equipped with Christ's gospel. Equipped with the prayers of the saints and for the saints, we can destroy anything that rises up against us and against our God. God commands destruction of those things that are against his kingdom. Putting on the armor of God helps us come to destroy those things. And the last two things that we pull from this Deuteronomy story in chapter 7 is that God desires our heart. That is all of me. That's my hopes and my dreams, my gifts, my skills, my abilities. All that I am belongs to God. This is why God commands the people back then and us today, do not covenant, do not pledge your life to, do not marry those who will actively rejected me and those who will turn you away from me. No in a marriage with anything or anyone that's an idol. And for a lot of us, this needs to be a check because there are many good things that can be idols for us. Not just our marriages, but our families can be idols. Our jobs can be idols. Our bank account can be idols. Our education level can be idols. There's so many good things that become idols and God says, I want all of you. So the reminder is as God has loved and chosen us, We need to love and choose God every day. And the way we do it is by pledging all of who we are to God, God's people, and God's kingdom. Why? Because we too are Christ's holy people. We too, Jesus says, remember, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. We too are God's most treasured possession. What a joy to know that as beautiful as this universe is, you are God's treasured possession. What a grace to know that as much as the world is not as it should be, you're God's treasured possession that Jesus came to save. What a blessing to know that no matter how hard it is, whatever you're going through, you are loved, you are valued, you are held by the loving God who has chosen you to be his child. God, God, did not choose us just like he didn't choose the people of Israel because we are strong or because we're significant. God chooses us because God loves us. God loves us by pledging his loyalty. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent the Spirit. That's why he saved us in the past. That's why he's saving you now. And that's why he'll save you in the future. And lastly, God's pledge... Of loyalty to you. God's love to you is promised not just to you, it's promised not just in what He's done to your ancestors, your physical ancestors, and your spiritual ancestors, but I love how this passage ends where God makes a promise and He says, I am faithful God. I will keep my covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. What a blessing that our God promises, not just to love you if you're faithful to God, but to love the generations to come because of your faithful witness, but more because of his love for us. Why did God save us? It's simple. He loves us and he's chosen us to be the people of God. Amen?